Bay Hills Community Church is pleased to have you join us for a very special service. Join us as we hear the Christmas story from selected Bible readings and through interpretations by Lindsay Darsan and Chris Bradshaw. Then, Pastor Dave will summarize what Christmas can mean to each of us and then will lead us in a very different communion service. From the time mankind became bound by the consequences of their own sin, God promised to one day punish Satan through one of Adam and Eve's descendants. So God said to the serpent, Because you've done this, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. The arrival of this promised one was foretold by the prophets and awaited for centuries by the people of Israel. At the appointed time, he entered into the world. But when the time was right, God sent his son born from a woman. His son obeyed the law so he could set us free from the law and we could become God's children. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings. You are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. Upon my first angelic visitation, I am greeted with a title that I have neither earned nor deserved. Rejoice, he says, for thou art highly favored. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. Gabriel is his name. I considered his salutation as I stand in utter bewilderment and amazement, all the while counting the cost of his favor. This messenger of God comforts me not to fear. So I silence my questions long enough to hear his message. Impossible. Improbable. Unbelievable. My mind numbs at the enormity of the task for me. I could never possibly ever perform what God has asked of me. I call to heart and mind every single inadequacy as my faith and my weakness battle within me. Oh, how faithless I am, please, Father, forgive me. It is just too difficult to see how something so beautiful can come from someone so ugly. How can something so pure be birthed by someone so immature? How can something so sure be conceived by someone so insecure? I struggle to find the words. How do I even begin to fathom or even imagine that my eternal and sovereign God would fashion his beloved son, the Holy One, inside of me? I have kept my virginity. I have held sacred my purity. 
I am still a bubbling and blushing bride-to-be. I have known no man. But I'm just a simple maidservant of my God. And I want to honor my Lord, but just, just think. Think of all the lies they will speak of me. In their misunderstanding, they will accuse me of adultery. They will shame my name and my entire family. They will cast their judgments upon me like stones, threatening to shatter this fragile temple to pieces. I have every reason to say no. But nevertheless, yes, Father, let it be unto me just as you have spoken, Lord. Yes, I will stand as hope in the face of hopelessness, Lord. Yes, if you will be my strength when I have none, then my God, I say, yes. If you will give me faith that will battle their faithlessness, then my God, I say again, yes. Not just for this generation, but for the next, yes. Let your will be done on earth, Lord, as you have it in heaven. I surrender completely and simply. I just say, yes. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. Why is this happening to me? All of my hopes and dreams have been crushed under the woman's base desires. I was always taught that the righteous are blessed by God. I feel cursed. I've always tried to live a righteous life, raised in the synagogue, taught by the rabbis. I know the law. I, I faithfully give my sacrifices. I, I give a tenth of all my income. I've never cheated anyone. What more must I do to receive the blessing of the righteous? I was, I was so excited. My wedding day was less than a year away. I was blessed by the bride my father had chosen for me. So why? How could she have been with a man and gotten pregnant? How could she have given her innocence away? What do I do now? The law says that the adulterer must be stoned. Mary will die and, and I will have to throw the first rock. How can I do that? How, how can I... How can I raise a hand to her? She couldn't have betrayed me. She, she, claims, she claims that she's pregnant by God. That no, no man was involved, but... Can I believe that? Maybe she was seduced. Maybe she was forced. How can I accuse her? I watch her die. 
I still love her. Perhaps, perhaps that love is enough. Perhaps I can marry her. Perhaps I can, I can pretend this never happened and, and we can pull those dreams together. We could still raise a family. We could still make our, our parents' lives happy. We could still... How can I believe this will never happen again? Besides, the people will wonder why we moved up the wedding date. The widows will count the days until the baby comes. And then they'll know. And they'll think that I'm the father, that I couldn't wait. They would no longer look at me as a righteous man. I'll lose my position in the village. I'll I'll lose customers to the shop. Can I give up those dreams? God! Are you there? Do you know? Am I alone? Where are you? I can't marry you. I can't stone you. What am I to do with you? Divorce. We're married and all, but sharing the same bed. And and the law allows me to divorce without stating why. Your family can move to a village where no one knows you. You can act as a widow and, and they never need to know what you've done. You can start over. You can live, my beloved. Divorce. I hate that word. God, speak to me. Is this your answer? In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. After they had heard the king, 
they went on their way. And the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. When the Magi uh, showed up, we all know that they brought gifts to Jesus. The one tradition we in the West um, embrace and have most applied from the Christmas story is um, we've taken what the Magi did and we have made sure that we don't miss out on that, the giving of gifts. If there's one thing that uh, we, uh, we've adopted, it's that. And uh, it's a fun tradition, um, especially the kids like it, but let's admit it, and we adults enjoy it as well. And what's interesting is that when you look at that story, most, most Bible students look at, at the gifts that the Magi gave to, to Jesus, and they make, they make two points. They say that with those gifts, the, Jesus and his family were able to survive when they had to flee Judea because of what Herod was doing and go to Egypt. In those days, Jews weren't allowed to work. They, they needed visa statements, visas and green cards like you need here. You couldn't work there. But because the, the value of the gifts given, they were able to probably sell them and survive. But the second thing, and the second point that is made, is that those gifts symbolically represent to us who Jesus would become for every one of us, the role that he would play. So, so the gold is an easy one. Gold always, even till this day, represents royalty. And um, especially in that day, it represented royalty. And Jesus is and was the king of kings. He is to be our king, our boss, essentially. The, the frankincense, if you go to parts in Europe today, um, they still can use it in big cathedrals. It's, it's an incense. And in those days, because it was so expensive, it was used only in the temple by the priests. So anytime you would, you would get a whiff of this frankincense, you knew there was a priest somewhere around. So... The gold represented that Jesus was to be our king. The, the frankincense represented that he was to be our high priest. The only way we can connect to God is through our high priest, the person of Jesus Christ. That's what the book of Hebrews says. The, the, the myrrh, however, is a little bit trickier. It's a little bit harder to understand what's going on here initially. Myrrh, in those days, um, was primarily used as an embalming ointment. I want you to think about that. An embalming ointment, it's what you would rub on a corpse, on a dead body, so that you could, you could make sure all the relatives came in, to, in from out of town to have a funeral service. What does that represent? Well, very quickly, it's not that hard to start connecting the dots and realize that Jesus was to be our king. Jesus was to be our high priest. But that myrrh represents that Jesus was to be our sacrificial lamb of God that died for your sins and my sins. That's what he was to be. During this Christmas, December season, we especially focus on the birth of Christ. And that's, of course, very natural and very normal and very appropriate. But if you read the gospel story, you, you realize that it, Jesus' coming really wasn't about his birth. As neat of a story it is, Jesus' coming was really about what would happen about 33, 34 years later when he died on the cross for you and for me. And so during this, this Christmas um, service, one of the things that we wanted to do is to remember that. Remember the, the primary purpose for which he came. Not just to be born, but to die.
for you and for me that we would have redemption and that we could reconnect to God. And so one of the things that we're going to do is we're going to celebrate uh, the Lord's Supper, communion, right now. And uh, communion is nothing more than doing just that. It's remembering the cross of Jesus Christ. The cup and the bread are representing his sacrificial broken body and spilt blood for us. And uh, we're going to do it just a little bit different uh, today. And we're going to try and draw upon what we see in the Christmas story. If you look at a nativity set, one of the things you see is the shepherds. They're always, they're always kind of kneeling by the manger. That's not just so they got a better view. It, you, you see in Matthew chapter 2 um, how the Magi, it says, they bowed down and worshipped him. One of the things we're going to do right now in a few moments, you probably noticed when you came in, is there are some kneeling benches on either side of the stage here. And um, what we're going to encourage you to do is, during the communion time, to come up and to kneel. And uh, there will be some leaders there, some of our elders, and uh, you're not going to have to kiss their ring or anything like that, right? They're not going to put the bread in your mouth. Um, Some of us who maybe didn't grow up in Catholic tradition, this might feel a little strange to us, but there's a purpose behind it. When you kneel... Um, it, it shows humility, it shows reverence, it shows honor. And what we want you to do is they're going to give you the cup and the bread, and we want you to do that with Jesus for a couple moments. I want to encourage you to maybe pray and thank him for what he's done for you. Not just what he's done for you on the cross, but what, what he's done for you this week, this year. Um, as tough as life has been, he's, he's done some pretty neat things for you this year. Thank him. I want you to adore him or worship him. Thank him for his holiness. Thank him for his justice and his goodness. Thank him for his power. Take some time to do that. Maybe you want to spend some time confessing. You know, the ugliness of the cross is your fault and my fault. But he doesn't hold that over to us. But, but we, are, we are to acknowledge that and to confess. Spend just a couple moments with Jesus. We're going to have a couple lines right down here and right here and and whenever there's a, there's a little spot, you can go in, and if you feel comfortable, you can scooch in next to the person, but we'll get about three people in there or so, and just take our time. We have more than enough time to do this. If you don't feel comfortable doing that, there's a table in the back, and uh, you're more than welcome to go back there. One last instruction. The book of Corinthians says that the Lord's Supper, that communion, is intended to be for Christ followers, for people who've given their life to Jesus and acknowledge that. And if you're here and you haven't quite yet done that, I would encourage you to maybe consider making today the day that you make that decision. And I want to encourage you to celebrate communion with us. And by coming and kneeling, what, what you're basically saying is yes to Jesus. You're saying, yes, I believe he was the Son of God, and I believe that he um, gave me forgiveness for my sins. And from this day forward, I'm going to embrace him and follow him as best as I can. So I want to encourage you to do that today if you've not done that. But I'm going to pray, and while I'm praying, a couple of our leaders are going to come behind the table. And then whenever you're ready, come up and take a few moments with Jesus and acknowledge who he is and spend some time with him. So let's pray, and, um, and then we'll do that. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this Christmas season and all the neat things we get to do. A number of us in the next week or two are going to be traveling and, and spending time with family. Some of us are having family come in. We're going to have a lot of really good food. We're going to enjoy some time where we give gifts to to our loved ones and to those we care for. Uh, We're going to decorate our homes and decorate outside our homes with lights. There's so many fun things we're going to do, and they're all all good things. But in the midst of the the Christmas excitement and the Christmas tradition, 
The reality is that because it comes every single year, even, even for those of us who love you and have grown up in the church, sometimes just a little bit, we allow the purpose and the reason for what we're doing during this time to fade from our souls, and we don't want to do that. We want right now to acknowledge the purpose of Christmas was not just the birth of a child, but eventually the death of our Savior. We love you. We will take a few moments right now, Father, to kneel in reverence for what you've done for us, to acknowledge how good and how great a God you really are, and to thank you that as a heavenly Father, you would send your one Son, your only Son, so we could have forgiveness. You didn't have to do that. But we are so incredibly grateful that you did. We pray this all in Jesus' name.